Praise the Lord this morning. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much, worship team. Amazing, amazing time of worship. Uh, good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? My name is Kevin Bear. I'm the lead pastor here at Bayou City Tomball. And uh, after Snowpocalypse 2021, it is so good to be back together. Who lost electricity over this uh, two weeks ago? Uh, well done, well done. Praise God. Who lost uh, water and plumbing issues? Yes, praise God. Uh, gaining skills you never knew you needed, um, and like uh, making a fire and surviving in front of your stove. Yeah, those, those things. Thank you so much, guys, for coming back. Excited to be here together. Uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8, so grab a Bible, beginning to Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm going to read a little bit for us, uh, pray for us, and then we will open up and study the Word of God together. Nehemiah chapter 8, starting in verse 1, says this. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, men and women... Um, all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it from, from it, facing the square before the west gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood um, Metehiah, Shema, and other people. Verse 5. <laughs> Thought I was going to try that, didn't you? No. And Ezra opened the book, verse 5, in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people, and he opened it, and all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave this, the sense so that the people understood the reading. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And thank you that you throughout history have given your word to your people. And you've given your word to your people so that we might understand what you are like, to understand what you are doing in the world and to know how we can be a part of a, your great story that you are writing throughout history. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God who speaks, and you have given us your word as your uh, direction to our lives. I pray that as we open up your word this morning, you would open up our hearts, that we might love you more deeply, we might serve you more faithfully, and that we might be your people who spotlight your glory in this city. Lord, center us on your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first time I ever went rock climbing, I was a, uh, a senior in high school, and we, we went on this uh, trip to Enchanted Rock with uh, the youth ministry that I was a part of, and, and they took us to Enchanted Rock uh, and had some guides that they had hired to, to lead us on this little adventure, this little hiking journey. And, uh, and so we get to this one point where, where they're going to um, lead us up rock climbing up the side of Enchanted Rock. And if you've ever been to Enchanted Rock, you know that it's a smooth granite rock surface, not a lot of grips on there. And, and so they lead us to this one spot, these guides that are probably in college that, you know, are seasoned climbers. So they had like all the gear, all the chalk, and they were, you know, just your prototypical 
college climbing dude, right? So they lead us to this point, and, and as they're leading us up, they're going, hey, you're going to scale this side, and I'm looking at the side of this kind of rock climbing, and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get up there, and so I'm kind of struggling to kind of see what I'm doing, but, but they knew this, that we were uh, incapable of getting ourselves up this rock, and so they'd sent some guys around, hiking around the back, um, and they dropped down ropes that were attached to the rock up higher. And so they dropped down those, uh, those ropes to us, and then we had um, our own little, uh, I don't know, like harnesses and ropes that they were going to put us into so that to keep us safe. And so they ran up the ropes from the harness to the, to the rock and back down, and they were going to belay us to climb up and down the side of this rock. And I remember seeing some of these kids start easily. I mean, I was, I was a senior, so I'm like, I'm going to be amazing at this, but I wasn't. But there was this 11-year-old that was on the trip with us. He was like the son of a chaperone parent that was there. And he, he kind of goes up and then he starts walking vertically up the side. And I'm like, what are you doing? How are you doing this? He's like walking his way up there. And then it's my turn. And I start getting my way. I, I get a couple grips. And I remember one point, I, one point I'm freezing on the rock. I'm like, what am I going to do? And I go to, to reach and then I slip and I start falling down. And I'm like, this is it. I had a great 18 years. I'm all over. And as I'm sliding down the rock, all of a sudden the rope catches. And I pin against the wall. And the guy's like, you want to try that again? I'm like, yeah, help me to get reoriented and put me back on the rock so I can keep going. And, and, and the purpose of the rope is to tether you to something strong so that you don't die. And the truth is this, uh, we can be unstable in uncertain situations. Amen? We can all be unstable in uncertain situations. And what we need, what we all need is to be tethered to something that won't break when life feels like it's breaking. Something that holds us to something strong when in, in times of life, we can look at past of tw- chapter, oh gosh, of 2020 and 2021. As we look at our lives in 2021, what we can see clearly is that we're not in control. I think if God is showing us anything over this season, it's this, that there is stability, but it's not in the changing circumstances of your life. It's not in your ability to control the weather. It's not in your ability to control government outcomes. It's not in your ability to control your job security. It's not in anything that you can hold on to out there for stability. There is something strong that can hold you in the the midst of life's uncertainties, and it's nothing that you see. It's something that's unseen. There's a reality of God in the universe, and he says, I want you to hold on to me. And God is a God who's not silent. God is a God who speaks. God has written himself into the story and he's written a book describing what he is like and what he is doing in the world to tether us to something strong in the uncertainties of life. And what we're, where we are in the book of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah has been helping to rebuild the wall. His heart broke for the things that broke God's heart. And so he went to Jerusalem to rebuild this wall. And we watched him a couple weeks ago complete the construction of that simple structure, complete the construction of the wall. But he wasn't done with his work. Not only did he need to rebuild a wall, he needed to rebuild a people. Rebuilding a wall took about 52 days, almost two months of work to rebuild a wall. But rebuilding people takes a lot longer. 
And so the question that Nehemiah has to answer is this. If I'm going to rebuild this people that have been hurt and, and abused and under destruction for a long time, what am I going to put at the center of their life? What am I going to tether them to so that they will be able to stand through the storms of life? And so what, does, what do the people need? Well, it's the same thing that we need. We need the word of God. And so he brings Ezra to this point to give them the word of God. And let me tell you this. The word of God is your only stability in the shaking times of your life. It is your only structure. Charles Spurgeon says this of the Bible. No one outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens over, with years. The book widens and deepens with our years. John Wesley said this. I want to know one thing the way to heaven, how to land safely on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach us the way. Himself, for this very end, he came to, from heaven to earth. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me that book of God. I have it. I must have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let, it be, let me be a man of one book. The word of God will give you stability in, the, in your storms of life. And there's three things, three kind of perspectives on scripture I want to give us this morning. And I think he, Nehemiah really centers on these three ideas of what the Bible does in the life of a Christian. It gives you gravity, vitality, and trajectory. What does the Bible do for the life of the Christian? It gives you gravity, it gives you weight, it gives you vitality, it gives you life, and it gives you trajectory. It shows you where the story is going. So the first part we see is this, the gravity of the word of God. Verse one says, all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. Nehemiah gathered all the people together and he gathered all the people together for this purpose, to read the word of God. And he brings Ezra to read the word of God over the people. Now, Ezra had returned um, to help start rebuilding the city back in 458 BC, about 14 years before Nehemiah. And what, what Ezra was doing was teaching the word of God to the people over these 14 years. And so we had basically a two-month pause in uh, Ezra's ministry while they all went to rebuild the wall. And when the wall was completed, Nehemiah says, okay, now we're back to the foundation, back to what this nation needs to be built on. That's built on the word of God. And so they all gathered as one people, everyone that could understand the, the word that was read, and they start reading the word over the people. Adults and children that could understand were all listening to the word of God that was read to them. And let me tell you this, there's a reason for that. God throughout history has wanted his acts to be recorded. He's wanted his works in the world to be written down, preserved in scripture, so that we would have them throughout all of history. God wanted us to read the word that he has written. But here's, here's the tragedy in our culture. Many of us don't read anymore. In fact, uh, it's, it's interesting. As you look at adult studies, what often happens in most adults is they stop progressing intellectually, not because of uh, some capacity issue, but because they stop reading. There comes a moment in adult life when people stop reading, they stop consuming other literature, and, and it, 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 we no longer grow in our wisdom, 
and we no longer grow in our intellectual capacity. And it's not because of ability. It's because we have stopped reading. I talk to people all the time, like, what's the last book you read? And they're like, something in college, right? And it's just this this time way back then. And and I ask the question, okay, how much time do you spend reading the word of God? And, And for many of us, they're like, maybe not that much. And the reason I feel like some of us become so untethered in our lives is because what we're consuming isn't deep knowledge, it's surface level content. In fact, there was a person back in 2008, um, he wrote an article, his name is Nicholas Carr, he wrote an article in The Atlantic, it says, and he said this, I think Google has made us stupid. <laughs> an amen from the, from the crowd, okay. He writes this, as the media theorist Marshall McCollum pointed out in the 1960s, media is not a passive channel of information that simply supplies information to us, but they also shape the process of thought. And what the net seems to be doing is chipping away at my capacity to concentrate and to contemplate. My mind now expects me to take in information the way the net, the internet, distributes it in swift moving streaming particles. Once I was a scuba diver deep into the sea of words, now I zip along the surface like a guy on a ski jet. See what he's saying? He's saying, what I used to do is, is, is get deep into the words of, of literature. He's not even a Christian speaking. He's like, I used to read deeply, but now I've become accustomed to the Twitterverse or, or the surface level distribution of information. And I just skim across the surface. I just read the headlines and I, I'm removed from a depth that I need. He writes in, in this article, deep reading says a a research study named uh, Nicole Spear, means it's not a passive exercise. The reader can become the book. He says, if you read deeply, that information will shape you. That information will change you. And many of us in our Christian life, we're skimming across the surface, wondering why we're torn from one issue to the next, but we haven't spent time deeply in the word of God. We're not tethered to the gravity of the word of God. See, you need to be tethered like gravity to the word of God, like the earth is tethered to the sun in orbit. When the earth is tethered to the sun in orbit, it can't get away and go flying off into space. It's the gravity of the the sun that holds the earth in proper orbit. The same way the word of God does for us. It holds us in proper orbit in life. We're not going to go spinning off too far because we know that there's something holding us. And God says, yes, the word of God is meant to anchor a community. It's supposed to hold a community in place so they don't go swinging off too far. It holds them. And what the Christian needs is to go deep into the words of God, study the word of God for yourself. And not just read it, not just be passive in having it read over you, They did a second piece here in verses seven through eight. There's a group of of people that stood there and as Nehemiah or as Ezra is reading the book of the law, they're getting around verse eight. As they read from the law, they clearly gave the sense so that the people understood its reading. You had this other group of people that were explaining what this means. And so so most scholars believe there was between 30 and 50,000 people gathered in this place and the law is being read over them. And then you had small pockets that were getting together to 
uh, explain what this actually means. And so you have the reading of the word and small group Bible studies going on in the community to help explain the sense of what's going. You have, you have, you have preaching and you have small group ministry. You have the word of God proclaimed and you have small groups explaining the sense of the understanding of the word. This is what's going on in the book of Nehemiah. So, so just to pull the lens back, why do we get together Sunday after Sunday and sing songs and speak from the words of God? It's because it's, it's highly biblical. It's what they did and it's what we do. It's one of the reasons we commit to exegetical preaching. It means we read the word of God, we see what the word of God says, and we explain the word of God because we want to be a people that are tethered to the words of God. And so that we will preach on Sunday morning and we're going to preach from scripture. That's what we're going to do here at Bayou City Tomball because we know that the word of God is going to tether us to the right realities. So we're going to speak the word of God, we're going to preach the word of God, but not only on Sunday morning, we have small group ministries. We have Pastor Billy who leads our community groups that meet throughout the week in a variety of locations. And those folks center on the word of God. And it's not a point where they only um, study the Bible. It's also community. So they care for one another. They encourage one another. But it's centered on the word of God. We're going to open up the scripture and grow together in the word of God. It's why our children's ministry, right over here, when you give your kids to, to our amazing staff that are leading our children's ministry, Eric and, and Robin and others, as you go there, your kid is going to grow in their knowledge of the Word of God because we want the, them to be anchored to truth. And it's why on our youth ministry, that they're going to go to that youth ministry, they're going to open up the Word of God, they're going to be studying the Word of God together because that's going to hold them when life gets tough. We want them to know the Word of God. It gives them gravity. It holds them steady. But not only does the word of God give us first gravity, it also secondly gives us vitality. It shows us the path toward maturity. Charles Spurgeon, as I read earlier, he says this, no one ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens within our years. Our understanding of scripture grows as we grow older if were tethered to it. Verse, verse 9 says it this way, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is a holy day to your Lord. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then they said to him, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this is the day that is holy to the Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this is the day that is holy, not to be, not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. As you enter a moment when you're hearing the word of God, there's an effect that it has. An effect it has on your heart, an effect it has on my heart. And there's a process in this. It's called, it's a process of confrontation and celebration. What does it take to grow in your personal spiritual life? You need the same thing that I need, the same thing that the people of Israel needed, which was confrontation on sin and celebration because you're brought in a relationship with God. See, 
The law had not been read like this in front of these people in this way for a long time. And this was a moment when they finally had gotten together. They'd finally, as a whole community, gotten under the word of God. And and as the word of God is read over them, it confronts them. Because as soon as you read the book of the law, as soon as you read the words of the Ten Commandments, you realize what everyone realizes, we're not right with God. Just look at the Ten Commandments. I mean, they're reading over the Ten Commandments, like love God more than everything else. Do not covet your spouse, your, your neighbor's spouse, herds, donkeys, anything. And, and so you, just, you read the, the, the Ten Commandments, you're like, what immediately happens is you become convicted because we all see that we're not right with God. We don't measure up to the standard of God. Hebrews 4.12 says it this way, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of your heart. The word of God confronts us in our sin, and that's normal. As we preach the word of God, there's gonna be moments every Sunday morning or every small group when you're like, wow, I don't measure up to that standard. I don't live as I ought to live. And that's not a bad thing, that's actually a healthy thing. Because you're not able to grow vitally unless you are confronted with reality. So we had trees uh, in our house in College Station and they were new trees, it was kind of a new neighborhood and so they were putting in new trees uh, into our home and, and, and they put the tree into the ground and immediately they tethered the tree with two ropes to stakes into the earth. Why did they do that? Because they hated the tree. Like That's why they did it. No. If, if you're an arborist and you study growth, what you know is that if, if the tree isn't stabilized, it can grow sideways. And you don't want your tree growing sideways, you want it to grow straight. And so there were two ropes that stabilized that tree so that whenever it would lean one way or another, it would pull it back so that it would grow straight. Tethering it didn't hurt it. It made sure that it grew straight. In your life, what we need is to be tethered to the truth of the word of God so that we can grow straight, so that sin can be exposed, so that, so that it can judge the heart, the thoughts and attitudes of our heart so that we can grow correctly. And you can't grow correctly if you're not tethered to truth. But, but not only are they confronted, there's a second reality that happens. They're told to celebrate. Elizabeth Elliot writes of the word of God, the word of God I think of as a straight edge which shows us our own crookedness. We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of scripture. We line ourselves up with the word of God, but not only do we line it, we need to let that word conform us. We need to let that word change us. James writes it this way, don't be merely a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. He says, for the one who is a hearer only is like a man who looks into a mirror, walks away and forgets what he looks like. He says, the word of God should confront you like when you are confronted with the reality of a mirror. And so here's what he's saying. I want you to approach a mirror like a woman, not a man. So how does a man approach a mirror? You walk in front of the mirror, as good as it's gonna get, and then you kind of walk off, right? That's, 
That's what a man does when he approaches a mirror. Like, hey, we're all gonna deal with this and let's go on. And, but how does a woman approach a mirror? With the expectation of change. So she's gonna walk in front of that mirror and she's got a, a bag of goodies and she's gonna be like, okay, I'm gonna dial that up and fix that and make that. And she's gonna walk out better than she went, when she went in because she's going to change based on what she sees in the mirror. Men, take a note from your wife. As we approach the word of God, it's gonna show us where we're off. And that means that we have to conform our lives to the standard of God. We don't conform the standard of God to our lives. We change ourselves as we look at the word of God. It it points out issues within me. And so I start changing to look like it. And, And the change isn't meant to beat us down. It's to make us strong. The change isn't there to make you feel guilty all of the time. It's to show you how to live in conformity with what God is doing in the world. It's to make you mature. And so that's when, as they're reading the word of God and all these people are feeling guilty at this moment, Ezra and Nehemiah put a stop to the the pity me party. Some of you have stopped reading the word of God because you're like, oh, that that hurts. Ah, It it makes me feel guilty. Mm -mm, No, but that's not the point. They read the word, they feel guilty, they say, stop, 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 stop. Let's celebrate this moment. Let's go eat. Let's go party. And this is one of the things that often we miss about God. This this moment was about celebrating the fact that they're coming to God. So many people fear coming to God because like, oh man, he's, he's, he's mad at me. He's angry at me. Like, no, no, no. He's inviting you to come in. He's gonna show you the way to live, but he's not mad that you're coming and he's not mad that you're convicted. That's all part of the process of growing toward maturity. And he says, let's celebrate. Go make a sacrifice. Go share your food. Go have a party. And that's why after church, it's always good to go to lunch with some friends. Because you just heard the word of God and you get to celebrate together. So why, when you get together in community group, we always have food. Why, why do church people always have food? Because God told them to eat, right? We, we celebrate the fact that we get together and God is a God of celebration. God is not an angry God. He is not mad. He is righteous and good. He says, you come to me. I'm gonna conform your life to my desires and we're gonna celebrate along the process. It's gonna be beautiful. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is God-breathed, every bit of it, and useful, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The reason we're corrected is so that we can be effective. The reason we need to change is so that we can be more effective for what God wants to do in our lives and through our lives. So we come and we're confronted and we change and then we celebrate that we get to grow into what God wants us to be. It's a beautiful process. So the scripture trains you for every good work. What are you supposed to do with your life? Well, the scripture is gonna train you in that and that's worth celebrating. The scripture shows us the way to salvation. It shows us Jesus Christ, that he died in our place for our sins, forgiving us of all of our sins and leading us to live a righteous life. He shows us the way to salvation, the thing that John Wesley wanted. The scripture shows, here's how you have a right relationship with God. And that's worth celebrating. The scripture shows us how to have have an intimate relationship with our creator. That's worth celebrating. The scripture tells us that God will never leave us or forsake us. 
And that's worth celebrating. You see, the reason we read the word of God is because it's a gravity. It keeps us tethered to reality. And also because it gives us vitality, it shows us how to grow in maturity. And thirdly, what does spending time in the word of God do? It gives you a trajectory. It shows you your past so that you can live out a great future. As they continued to read the word of God, verse 13, on the second day, the heads of the father's houses and all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found written in the law that the Lord had commanded Moses and the people of Israel they should dwell in booze during the feast of the seven months and that they should proclaim it and publish it to all their towns and in Jerusalem. They said, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive and wild olive and, and myrtle and palm and other leafy trees and make booze as it was written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his own roof, and their courts, and the courts of the house of God, in the square of the water gate, and the square of the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun. To that day the people um, had not done it before. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according to the rule. He says, as they were reading the word, they realized there was a tradition that they had stopped, and it was the Feast of Booths. Now, the nation of Israel was in captivity in Egypt for 400 years, and Moses rose to power. One of the most epic moments in the nation of Israel was when they were freed from their slavery in Egypt. And over and over in scripture, God says, remember that moment when you were a slave, but God came in and rescued you. And when they left the slavery in Egypt, they were running through the wilderness and they had no protection, provision in that moment. They only had God to follow. And during that time, God gave them manna from heaven. He gave them quail to land and to eat. He provided for them day after day. And in remembrance of God's provision and who he was, he says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to have a camp out to remember what we did. And so they would make booths for themselves. It was like a storm hit Texas and they had to huddle in front of little fires together. I'm joking. Uh, it's, 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 they had to make booths and the whole nation is they would camp out to remember that God saved them and led them into victory, into this new place where they are living. So they were supposed to remember this year after year. God is a God who protects us and loves us. He wanted, God wanted to tether them to their past to know their future. He wanted them to remember God's faithfulness in the past as they continued to march forward into the future. George Santana says this, to know your future, you must know your past. And so when they're reading the book of the law, what, what they're seeing is, oh my gosh, we have this great history we need to remember about us before we move forward. And let me tell you this, Knowing your history doesn't hold you back. It enables you to be propelled forward. It doesn't hold you back. It's an experience that enables you to have stability as you move forward. So when I was in, in College Station for, for many years, I, I did college ministry. 
And there was opportunities where I would go to uh, speak at fraternity, Christian fraternity, let me specify, Christian fraternity retreats. I would speak for fraternity guys too, they were great, but, but Christian fraternities retreats. And what they would do is they would bring all the freshmen and all the pledges, all the freshmen in, and they would have this retreat um, where they would have these experiences they would provide for the students. And they were always, uh, they were, they were always legit, they weren't crazy. Um, but they would always have these one memory-making moment, this one memory-making moment where it would always be hard and they would go on this like ridiculous hike in the middle of nowhere and then oftentimes they would either have to like build a cross out of trees that they chopped down in the middle of nowhere um, or they would, have to, they would have a bunch of people um, they would have to carry that were shaped like a cross, like demonstrating that, that God carries us or God is the, the savior who we follow by carrying our own cross. And so they would have these ways of kind of doing this moment. And what was interesting is that, is that that moment was progressing. I would be talking to these guys and the freshmen wouldn't know what's gonna happen. Um, and they wouldn't know what's coming. And, and I talked to all the older guys and they'd be like, this is gonna be amazing. And we're like, why? Wasn't it exhausting and hard? And they're like, yeah. But it made us a community. And our story is going to be their story. Our experience is going to be their experience. And when you tether them to this experience, it's going to show them you're part of this bigger story that has been going throughout history so that we can move forward together. I went to the University of Texas, but I lived in Aggieland for 14 years, right? So I was a transplant. I lived in Aggieland longer than most Aggies, right? That's my claim. And Aggies are amazing at this because their traditions tether you to their history. And so most freshmen will go to fish camp. And at fish camp, they'll tell you all the stories about about what made this university great. And not just the university great, what what Aggies have done. One, (laughs) some of y'all are really excited. You're like, keep on preaching. Uh, what, what God has done in their lives, the, the military men, that have, men and women that have come out of there, the stories that they have been a part of, the way that they have affected history by the men and women that have come from this university. And as you're hearing those stories, you're going, okay, okay, that's my story. Like those people fought that war and, and they worshiped God in that moment. Yeah, yeah, those people did that and they were doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and all of a sudden you're, you're caught into this greater story. And as you're caught into that greater story, you realize I can go forward because I'm part of this great story. I'm part of what has been done here. And so I can move forward out there. It's why you study your genealogy is you wanna know where you are so that you can move forward into a glorious future. You have a trajectory if you are in Christ. You have a great new story. First Peter 2 says it this way, but you are God's chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. All those words were given to the nation of Israel and now they're given to the church. You are God's special treasure. You are all of these things so that you may please him. God brought you out of darkness into his glorious light. You know why we study the words of God? It's to give us gravity. It's to give us vitality. And it's to give you a trajectory. You're part of the greatest story ever told. 
You're part of a story that has been written from Genesis to Revelation. You're part of a trajectory of history of what God is building in the world. And you get to be a part of seeing salvation come to the world. And every person that has been caught up in this book has helped to change world history. I'm gonna give you an example of one book that changed all of human history, one book from the Bible. That as men had studied this and become changed by it, they moved and shaped all of history. One of those men was Augustine. Augustine was a man who was lost in sexual addiction, all sorts of issues, and he became closer and closer enamored with the word of God. He says this, late one Sunday summer afternoon, he went through a profound personal crisis. His heart was broken as he struggled to find deliverance. And he says this, I cast myself down, not knowing what I should do, my, my face full of tears. And then he heard a young boy, a young child with the book of Romans saying, take up and read, take up and read. And he read it. And that summer afternoon in 386 AD, he converted and he was no longer Aurelius Augustinius. He became the theologian Augustine. And one scholar says about Augustine, it is beyond our power to to compute the impact of his life, but not just Augustine, Martin Luther. Centuries later, Martin Luther, a young Augustinian monk, struggling with the righteousness of God, suddenly starts reading the book of Romans. And he says, I greatly long to understand why, what Paul meant with the epistle of Romans. What he was trying to do, he was beating his mind against the righteousness of God because he thought the righteousness of God was something he needed to achieve, but it wasn't. It was something he needed to receive. The righteousness of God is not a standard we have to do. It is a gift through the perfect life of Jesus Christ. And when that became clear to him through the reading of the book of Romans, everything changed and he led the Protestant Reformation through the reading of the word of God. We are here in the United States because of the work of men like this throughout history, but not just those men, John Wesley. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement, he, he started reading a commentary on the book of Romans by Martin Luther, and it says as he heard that commentary read, as he began to study Romans, he says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And the reason the United States and Europe had the second great awakening was in large part to the men who worked, like, like John Wesley, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, as they were changed by the word of God. The reason we have Christians as prominently as we do in America is because God was using his word to change lives forever. And the reason we're gonna commit to preach the word of God every week because we know this word changes us and this word will change your world. I don't know where you go to to search for stability, but let me promise you this. It will not be on your newsfeed It will not be on your Twitter feed. It will not be on your Instagram posts. There is nothing there that will so tether you to reality like the word of God. And here's my challenge to you, is to not merely be an effectual hearer, but a doer. So what does it look like for us as God's people to center ourselves on the word of God? There's two ways I'm gonna put in front of you in which to do this. There's a personal application and a community application. Personal application is this. You find a place, you pick a book, and you get a journal, 
One of the things that will profoundly shape your life is you personally spending time in the Word of God. And so what we need are not merely moments when you're in community, but time individually when you get in the Word of God. And I know for some of you, you're like, okay, I'm going to read, but, I, but I'm not sure I really understand it. I, they had people explaining it to them in Nehemiah. I need that too. Well, I'm going to give you one individual source that you can use. There's a website. Um, if you type in sonniclight.org, it will direct you to Plano Bible Chapel. And there's a professor um, named Thomas Constable. He's put all of his notes for every book of the Bible there. So often, I'm like, I don't understand this text. And I go to Tom because Tom gives me some great answers. Thomas Constable is a free, great resource. Sonniclight.org or Plano Bible Chapel. All of Constable's notes are there. They are extremely helpful. He's from a particular theological perspective, but he gives a good uh, baseline of, hey, here's what other people are thinking about these particular verses. He's very, very helpful. I would encourage you individually Pick a place, pick a book of the Bible, get a journal, and start spending time soaking in the words of God personally. It will change you. Secondly, there's a community application. It's moments like this, so it's a commitment for you to like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come to church. I'm gonna put myself under the teaching of scripture. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come ready I'm gonna to come to church with a Bible and a notebook and I'm gonna take notes so that I remember and I can rightly apply the word of God in my life. I'm gonna commit not to just be a hearer, but a doer. And for me, taking notes really, really helps me to make sure I remember and apply what the word of God is saying. So you come to Sunday morning or you join a community group. You join one of our community groups that is studying the word of God. They're studying the book of Nehemiah right now. It is not too late to join. Um, Pastor Billy, who you said earlier, can connect you, or any of us would be happy to connect you in a community group, even starting now at this point in the semester. Two other things. We have some men's groups that meet together that study the word of God. And so if a community group isn't the right fit for you for whatever reason, your schedule, whatever, we have men's groups that meet. So talk with us, we'll connect you on that. And this last one is gonna be an announcement here in a little bit, so I'm not gonna steal all of DB's thunder. Um, but our, we have some amazing women that are part of this church that love the Lord, love the word of God, and they're gonna be starting some new um, ministry pieces with women. She's gonna speak more about it here in a little bit, but stay tuned. If you're a woman, you're like, man, I'd love to be around some women to study the word of God together. We're gonna provide a great opportunity for that as well. Come, be under the word of God. It will change your life and it will change our world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word. And Lord, thank you that you've given us the community of believers to help explain it and, and encourage us in the word of God. And Lord, my prayer is that we would be a church that is so centered on the word of God, so tethered to your truth that we obey everything that you say and that the community of Tomball becomes deeper and deeper in love with you because they see the 
community of believers more and more changed to look like Jesus through the power of your word. Lord, I thank you for each person here. Help us to put in the appropriate disciplines personally. Surround us with the right community to connect with. And help us to grow deeper, deeper in love with you. So let me pray. Amen.